0: Okay, Aaron, uh, this will be our first show for September of 2022. Uh, welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host Brian Gaughan and I are recording this week's show on Monday, September 6th, 2022. So this is officially our our pre-D23 Expo show, right?
1: Yeah, and um, pre-Disney Day, too.
0: Are you ready? (laughs) Because I fly out to LA in less than 36 hours, and I haven't started packing. I am not ready. This is not going to be pretty.
1: So you're going to be out here for a while then, um, even before D23? We hit the ground on Wednesday. Thursday is collecting
0: our pals, Angel and Flo, at various airports and checking into our hotel and then sneaking away to do some, some daddy duty. Oh, excellent. Good. And then the very next day, plunge right in. And then after it's over and you and I have collected the goods... Monday, getting in some more daddy-daughter time, plus a a couple of work-related things I can't talk about yet. And then Nancy and I fly home on Tuesday. But on the other hand, very much looking forward to you and I hanging out at this event. And other than, of course, the big Lucasfilm Marvel Studios panel, anything in particular you're looking forward to at this year's event?
1: No, I always enjoy the little areas where they have like what new rides are going to be coming out and, or, or they're, what do they call it? The wish list. Ah. Um I remember um, a few years ago when I went to it, there were all these rides that were going to be at the, I guess, Singapore and, and other ride, and they just disappeared. i didn't never heard of them from them again. And I have pictures someplace that proves that they were there. And also remember giant, that was going to be a thing. I have a picture of that, that too. So it's it's neat to go to these things and yeah. then see what disappears.
0: Yeah, I mean, a gigantic was a heartbreaker. I mean, they had the A team on it. They had yeah. Nathan Greno you know, one of the directors of Tangled. They had Dorothy McKim, who is a veteran producer at Disney, and. They even had Bobby and Kristen Anderson Lopez. They were writing this.
1: Sc- I mean, these are the frozen it's a, people. It's a great story. Yeah. And Gene Kelly proved that you could do a TV movie about it, And it, which was, I loved when I was a little kid and it still holds up pretty much. What does a woggle bird do? Yes, yeah.
0: <laughs> it did have its charms, but the deal breaker is they could never quite figure out, given that. Jack was supposed to be, what, a 16, 17-year-old boy. Right. And Ema, the giant at the center of the story, was supposed to be a 60-foot tall 10- or 11-year-old girl. And it was getting a believable relationship set up between those two, coupled with the villains of the film. In fact, that, that was what was really kind of cool about, if you remember, that set up at the D23 Expo. They yeah. had the beanstalk that was supposedly set up in the animation booth. Also kind of cool, until they officially announced the film, they hid the beanstalk. They had it hidden behind fabric. Then after they made the announcement, if you walk by the beanstalk, every so often, you would hear the whole, Fee, fi, fo. you know, and it was like, <laughs> But those were supposed to be the storm giants, the villains of the movie.
1: Is there any hope that it may go, they may go back to something like that? Because I saw Luck mm-hmm. yesterday oh. and I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really good, but the beginning kind of bothered me a little bit, but mm-hmm. then it got good and there are some hilarious mm-hmm. parts in it, especially with the cat and the animation of just the cat looking forward and just the eyes moving. And that's a Lasseter thing.
0: I think you have to look at luck the way you have to look at Meet the Robinsons. Absolutely. There's a lot that I like about Meet the Robinsons. I mean, the middle of that movie is a mess. Too many characters, too much story. But the fact that it sticks the landing, the whole going to ring the doorbell to start your own life. It ends so beautifully and so heartfelt, but I always make the analogy, it's it's like you ever watch like an Olympic, a winter Olympic event where somebody's doing like the ski jump off of, you know, that giant slalom the thing. The slalom, yeah. And you, you watch somebody who in midair is flailing and it's like, oh, this is going to end badly. And <laughs> and at the very last second, they stick the landing. And on one ski too. On one I ski. <laughs> and that's the thing, that's, that's pretty much Meet the Robinsons to me. And we're doing it again,
1: Brian. We're, this is know, a Lucasfilm podcast,
0: and we are not talking. Okay, so <laughs> we are now going to to actually start the show. What on- am I
1: looking forward to at D23? There we go. That it has something to do with Lucas. Well... Indiana Jones. Uh, I'm hoping they're going to do some announcing there. I'm hoping that's when we're going to get the title. We will be
0: talking about that on the second half of today's show. Okay, then
1: I'll put that on the back burner. Okay,
0: but first we have to get to the news, and the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Also, important to admit when you are wrong. Uh oh, what do we do now? We've been talking on the show about Star Wars andor, which, uh, by the way, did you see the poster that showed up on social media? Yes. Oh, look really
1: good. Yeah, there's some Zabruder film stuff going on there. You gotta, like, you, I mean, and the poster for D23. Have you seen that poster?
0: We're going to save that for the second half because it's okay. a kind of a cool detail that keys off to what we're going to talk about. But
1: but the Andor was like, it was amazing just to see the little things and the little tiny Easter eggs.
0: Absolutely. But last couple of shows, we've been talking about the supposed five-year plan for the show. And that's a story that came out of Comic-Con. And evidently, that was the info that was shared that, you know, hey, there's a five-year plan for the show. So I assume that, well, that means that there are five... We're going to get five seasons of the show. It's like, well, no. A friend at Lucasfilm who listens to the show likes the show, reached out and said, hey, 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 the show covers five years' worth of story. Okay. But there's only going to be two seasons of the show. And, And in fact, showrunner Tony Gilroy, in an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, went on to say the last scene of this show, our 24th episode, will walk the audience directly into Rogue One and directly into the first scene of Rogue One.
1: So should you re-see or watch Rogue One before Andor, or should you just wait until... Because I I remember Rogue One, but I mean, I know there's a lot of things that I need to Mm -hmm. catch up on. So do I wait to see the 24th episode and then watch Rogue One again?
0: I enjoy Rogue One, so any excuse to circle back on it, I would take, but... That's, That's kind of interesting, you know, hold off until it's there and you can do that.
1: And then, I mean, you know, being at my age, I do tend to forget a lot of things. I <laughs> I, I do know how it ends, though, with, with uh, an explosion, right? No, no, that's in the other one. Uh, see? I'm all messed up. Uh, that, that's okay.
0: We grade on a curve here. Um, okay. Star Wars Andor begins later this month on September 21st with three episodes dropping on the same day. And then going forward from there, there are going to be 12 episodes per season. And as Mr. Gilroy just mentioned, final episode, the 24th.
1: Are they already working on the, the second the 12 episodes? I mean, is are we going to get like a year?
0: Supposedly, Mr. Gilroy has put out the word that he won't necessarily be directing that season of the show. He will be involved. He's the showrunner, of course. But when it comes to season two of Andor. He may hand that off to other folks. Now, we've been waiting for them to lock in when Star Wars Bad Batch Season 2 of that animated series will debut. People were a little concerned when Disney Plus announced its schedule for September and there was no Bad Batch on there. But it turns out, clerical error, they've since corrected. And September 28th, we get the kickoff of Season 2. Of the Bad Batch. And
1: Isn't it funny how their clerical arrows get us all talking about it?
0: That's the joy of social media. <laughs> oh, did, yeah.
1: did we forget to tell you? Mm-hmm. And you've been talking about it and wanting to know, well, here's the
0: date. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, obviously, with 12 episodes of Star Wars Ander, likewise, 16 episodes of the Bad Batch Season 2, Going to be a very nice fall. Lots of stuff to watch and talk about. There's going to be a slight pause around the holiday season. And then Star Wars goodness picks up again in February of 2023. Uh, We get season three of The Mandalorian gets underway at that point. Oh, really? I love that all of this stuff is headed to television. But it also is beginning to look like it's going to be a while before we get A Star Wars theatrical release. Ryan Johnson has been out there this past week or so because everybody's waiting on when they're going to get to see this next Knives Out movie, which which it's called Glass Onion, A Knives Knives Out out
1: Mystery. There we go.
0: All we know at this point is it's going to be on Netflix later this year.
1: And then then he'll start on the third one, Mm -hmm. which will be on Netflix probably next year. Got it. So he's busy with that. But what he did say Mm -hmm. was, well, remember when his movie came out, The Last Jedi, and there was, I don't know where it was coming from, but a lot of the critics seemed to like it. It it got, what, a a 95 on Rotten Tomatoes? There we go. It did pretty well. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden, there was all this negative. Well, we know a lot of it was the toxic fanboys didn't like the... The Kellyanne thing, and yep, and then Rose. and a lot of people didn't think that Luke should have been a grumpy old man. But still, I mean, I saw it and I kind of liked it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I liked the casino scene too, which you you are right, and a lot of people are right. If we would have lost that, then we would have lost Benicio del Toro too. And I liked we, his we, we. his his version of Lando Carislian. I liked his, you know, how that came out. Mm-hmm. So everybody thought that. His trilogy was dead Mm -hmm. for the most part, but now it's coming out. He's coming out and saying, also Kathleen Mm -hmm. has come out and said that um, basically what he said in an interview, uh, Ryan did, I've stayed close to Kathleen Kennedy and we get together often and talk about it. It's just at this point is a matter of schedule and when it can happen. Mm -hmm. It would break my heart if I were finished, Mm -hmm. if I couldn't get back in that sandbox at some point. Now, I think that's going to bring goodwill because we know that he can bring in other characters mm-hmm. and in another part and give us a good, a really good Star Wars trilogy.
0: Yes. I'm not a big fan of the casino scene and don't get me wrong. I love Rose. I think,
1: you know. Yeah, I think and, Rose is
0: a good character. And likewise, her sister's sacrifice early in the film. I mean, there's a, a lot of stuff I really liked about this movie.
1: And I love that they bring Rose back mm-hmm. in all the Lego Uh, Star Wars things, and she's always a main part of it, and she's a really good part of it.
0: Well, again, that's what I love about the Lego guys is, (laughs) hey, you're a toxic male. Screw you.
1: And they play with every toy in the sandbox.
0: There we go. There we go. But that end, where you get that battle between Luke and Kylo Ren, and see your own kid, that was worth my $12. I loved that moment. And so... When something ends well, ends strong, I'm willing to forgive. But the interesting thing, and again, came out this same week with with Ryan out there talking about his new trilogy, which had people going back to talk about The Last Jedi, and they didn't like Luke as a grumpy old man. Evidently, Mark Hamill himself didn't particularly care for this version of the character.
1: But wasn't Obi-Wan Kenobi basically a grumpy old man, too? I, 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 you are <laughs> preaching to the choir here, all right? you know the, the, So that's why I was okay with it. I was I was okay with him drinking green milk and mm-hmm. um, having all those, being on that, that island. And mm-hmm. it made sense, especially when you know that he felt responsible for what was going on with Kylo mm-hmm. and what was going on with the universe or the galaxy at the time. I mean, wouldn't you hide away too?
0: We just finished watching Obi-Wan Kenobi, which starts off with yeah. Obi-Wan as a broken man. And again, the very thing you were just talking about, the, the regret about what happened to Vader, could he have stopped what went on? And and so the notion of the same thing, you know, that that we have Luke as a broken man. And by the way, uh, worth noting here that yes, Mark Hamill wasn't necessarily all that happy with the script and the interpretation of the character. But Mark is a complete professional, and and Ryan himself said on the first day of shooting, said, okay, this is the vision you're going for, and I'm going to do the best version of that I possibly can. But at the same time, just in this past week or so, Ryan is out there talking about how he had arguments with Mark on the set and you know during prep for this thing about what was being done with Luke. And... I love this quote. It's like, look, if Mark Hamill is talking to me about Luke Skywalker, I'm going to listen to him. And I got to think about that and argue with him and go back and forth and genuinely plumb the depths of my soul and of what I wrote and figure out if that seems right. But he created the character on screen, but he's Mark Hamill. He is not literally Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker lives as a creation on that screen. He's a myth. And as such, he only li- really lives in the minds of people who listen and in various ways believe that myth. And And I know that was me. So it's complicated. Which brings me to the question I want to throw out to you, Brian, now. Yeah. Who, in a situation like this, who owns a character? Who gets to decide yeah. what to do with that character? I mean, is it the creator? Is it the studio? When fans push back, as they did with the, the Last Jedi, is it the smartest move to listen to them?
1: If we listened to him, then we would have lost a uh, I mean, remember George Lucas, mm-hmm. he loved Jar Jar. He thought Jar Jar was going to be the character that everybody was going to love. And I think to this day, he still does.
0: I'm I, so happy you brought this up, because another thing, by the way, Brian dug up this amazing Piece of video for the, the today's show. It's a, this wonderful conversation between Robin Williams and George Lucas. And, and they're
1: talking about why the world hated Jar Jar. But first of all, get back to Robin Williams. He is hilarious because he's a very serious interviewer. Mm-hmm. But then when George mentions maybe a character from an, another um, pop culture or... Robin will go into that character Mm -hmm. and he'll make something funny. He'll talk like Mm -hmm. R2-D2, not R2-D2, C3PO, or Jar Jar, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it adds this like different element. Mm -hmm. I mean, it brings you, you're in the, the, it breaks the fourth wall Mm -hmm. many times. You're in it, you're out of it. You're Mm -hmm. in it, you're out of it. But with Robin Williams, you're always on a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. But it's a very great conversation because I've never heard this version of it before. And George thinks Mm -hmm. that they hated Jar Jar Mm -hmm. because he was a sidekick.
0: Yes, yes. But he goes on to say, they always did this. They hated C-3PO in the original Star Wars comic sidekick. They hated Yoda in Empire. Likewise, they hated the Ewoks in
1: Return of the Jedi and... You know, it's making this movie for your kids. Well, yeah, but also, if you think about it, the Ewoks, they're cute teddy bears, but they're also cannibals. Mm. So you kind of think there's, there's a dark part of these little guys. I mean, they were actually bringing... Han Solo mm-hmm. off to make him dinner, there to you go. know. So you do we lose that point of it? I mean, the, I, I never was upset about. I mean, I, I don't get the um, mm-hmm. the C three PO because I always love the sidekick because mm-hmm. the sidekicks are my favorite part of of almost everything, mm-hmm. um, especially if they're of a different culture and and things like that they bring in another element which c-3po did Mm -hmm. he was he was more of an elitist he was more of a a butler type of thing that Mm -hmm. really he didn't really understand what it was like to be a farmer Mm -hmm. but of course he could speak in in different languages and do this that and the other thing but did he really know how to you know handle the moisturizers Mm -hmm. we don't know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I had never heard that before. Oh, no. That that's why they, they hated the characters and sidekicks. So looking back on the second one, mm-hmm. um, Attack of the Clones and yep. then Return of the Sith, are there any sidekicks in there? <sighs> Interesting point. Because I don't think there is. I think Anakin's a sidekick, mm-hmm. but he's also our main character of the, the whole story. Yet he is the sidekick to Obi Wan, or maybe you can switch and say Obi Wan's the sidekick too. Uh, George does not
0: mention that as part of this conversation with Robin Williams, and and you got to wonder after what happened with Phantom Menace whether or not he approached the writing of the next two films, taking that into consideration. It's like okay, let's keep the sidekick off the table. I mean, Jar Jar makes a token appearance. An Attack of the Clones is is being kind. I mean, I I think he's in the film for like 30 seconds and then gone.
1: But he's also, he's a senator or something like that. So he's more serious Mm -hmm. and he's not tripping up on everything. And he's not a sidekick. No, 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 no. But then look at the sequels too. Mm -hmm. Are there really any sidekicks there? There's pairs. They all go off, but I wouldn't call Finn a sidekick. I wouldn't call Rose a sidekick. I wouldn't call any of those people the side. Not BB. Not not even BB Eight. I wouldn't call them sidekicks mm. at all because they don't have the sidekick. You know, they're not there like R two D two and C three PO were in the original and also the movie that they got got it from the Hidden Fortress. Yeah. They those were two sidekick mm. characters the Abbott and Costello type of character mm-hmm. for comic relief. But we don't see, I don't think we see that in that. So maybe they're staying away from the sidekicks because of George's theory that sidekicks kill.
0: There's something else that George brought up that he said, you know, it's the goofiest characters that got despised by the fans. But he then went on to say that they're into Terminator and, and they wanted everybody to be Darth Maul. Right, And there's a couple of times in this thing where George says stuff where it's like, accents don't make the stereotype. And I, I'm i sorry, but if we're talking about Watto or, for that matter, the trade commissioners yeah. that come across, like, World War II villains, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I, I definitely want to give George the benefit of the doubt you have heard the story about when George was getting ready to sell Lucasfilm to Disney in 2012 or thereabouts, he, he he thought what would really seal the deal was that if he came to the table at Disney and said, oh, by the way, you can have Lucasfilm, and by the way, here's the storyline for the next trilogy. And right. Disney still bought the company for 425 billion dollars, but at the same time, one of the very first things he did is said, Yeah, we're not making those. And then it went off. And and between JJ Abrams and Ryan Johnson, you know, went a very different way. Which brings me to uh, Timur Morrison, uh, you know, who obviously played Django Fett in Attack of the Clones in, in May of two thousand two. And think about how we all lost our minds. When season two, episode six of The Mandalorian, when Boba Fett came back on the canvas and kicked ass in such a spectacular way, and I think that episode was called The Tragedy. If you you went on social media the next day, people were just, Boba Fett, Boba Fett, and not only that, but Temer Morrison back in the outfit, and the first show of season two where they had that shot at the end where you got to see just his feet walking up to Oh, I'm blanking your name.
1: Not... So, so, um, Phoenix um, Shan. There we go. So, were they planning from that point to bring him back into the fold? Was that Boba Fett? Because I'm, I still thinking, and then I watched him again, mm-hmm. and there's nothing to tell me. Mm-hmm. I mean, but didn't he have spurs on too? Mm-hmm. And then Boba Fett didn't have spurs. Now I gotta go back.
0: Now I gotta go back. Damn! Again, fan community absolutely loved what they yeah. saw of, you know, the return of Boba Fett in December of 2020. Now, we jump ahead a year to December 29, 2021, when the book of Boba Fett gets underway
1: on Disney+, and we literally
0: watch him claw his way out of the Sarlacc pit.
1: And wasn't that Patton Oswalt's version of it? There we go,
0: there we (laughs) go. Community, wasn't it? The the, the filibuster? There there we go. Yeah,
1: and they, they only showed on the show, like what was it like a minute or two, but they have the whole thing that supposedly he went up and he ad-libbed the whole thing. Okay. But that was coming from himself. That was coming from what he wanted. And it is almost like they wrote it exactly the way that he said it.
0: Patton has a wonderful piece of Star Wars-related stand-up where, you know, if time travel is possible, he wants to go back in time and beat George Lucas to death with a shovel, (laughs) you know, so the the prequels don't happen. And and uh, the joke's a little adult beyond this, so we we won't go into that. But I was fascinated during that six weeks where you go online and you read about the fanboys who's like, this is not the Boba Fett, I know. Oh, This is not... And what I couldn't help but think about, do you know the Sherlock Holmes story, The Final Problem?
1: That was the one that he went over the falls. There we go, Reichenbach bike, And then the empty house was the one where he came back. So you
0: have Sir Arthur Cohen Doyle, kind of got tired of of working with the same character. And and so in December of, of, what is it, 1893... He writes his story where Holmes is fighting with his arch
1: nemesis, Moriarty, and, and as you mentioned, over the falls. And it was all, it was all through POV of mm-hmm. Watson, mm-hmm. so you never see them afterwards, so mm-hmm. you don't see bodies of either one, yep. but he basically killed them off, yes. But the audience just wouldn't accept it. First, he writes The Hound
0: of the Baskervilles, which is, is set before Holmes's death. I figured, okay, just kind of as a sop to the readers who want the character to come back. And finally, as you mentioned, in The Empty House, he brings Holmes back as a character. And in fact, by 1905, there's a a whole book that's literally called The Return of Sherlock Holmes that collects all of these new stories. And in much the same way that Star Wars fans talked about, oh, Boba Fett just wasn't the same after he clawed his way back out of the Sarlacc pit. It's like there were Holmes. Readers who insisted that you know he just wasn't the same after he went the a, same guy, yeah yeah after he went over the falls, but at the same time, this was an Arthur Cohen Doyle, much like a George Lucas, where it's like the difference between phantom Menace and attack of the Clones is no silly sidekicks.:
1: But look at Mandalorian mm-hmm. Now maybe he's not silly, mm-hmm. but Grogu is a sidekick. And maybe Fennec Shand isn't silly, but she is a sidekick. Mm. So they're going back to what George wanted, but they're refining mm-hmm. the silliness of it and making it more relatable, probably. I don't know. Maybe I'm just reading into it. But it that's why a lot of people like what John Favreau mm-hmm. and Dave Filoni are doing, mm-hmm. is that they're bringing back the spirit of lucas of george and they're making these things like they think but i don't know what the the fan community wants because every time i think that oh this is great everybody's gonna love it mm-hmm. now there's all this stuff about oh they're ruining our star wars i don't understand about how they're ruining. It. i accept mm-hmm. whatever see you ask the the question mm-hmm. who does it belong to mm-hmm. i think it belongs to the creator. Mm-hmm. Because the creator is giving us something and we either accept it or don't. Mm-hmm. I accept everything. I accept what George did. I accept what Ryan did. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to seen what Colin Trevelong mm-hmm. was going to do. Because I enjoy the experience mm-hmm. of experiencing. I enjoy going to the theater I enjoy sitting in my reclining seats with the speakers in the back. I enjoy being with everybody in the theater because I'm going to clap and they're going to clap with me. Mm -hmm. It's that experience and it just brings me in and whatever they give me, okay, I'll accept it. I'll drink the Mm Kool-Aid, but that's okay. The Kool-Aid is spiked. The Kool-Aid is giving me something I really want. I don't know. Maybe it's just an optimistic view of things, but- I have have not been disappointed in almost anything I see. That's why my friends, like, you know, think I'm crazy because I like almost everything I see.
0: And I think you, you have a discerning palate when it comes to film. I mean, obviously, as someone who's worked in the industry and has seen as much film as you have, I get what you're saying. You have to give yourself over to the storyteller at some point. Otherwise, the fact that well, I want the things I want exactly the way I want them—that's that storytelling. That's you at home with your action figures. Yes. Well, at this point, now that we've offended half of the audience, um, <laughs> tell you what, folks, we're going to take a. Quick- Are we going to
1: try to offend the other half? There we go. The, the Come back in the part. second okay. half
0: of the show, folks. So <laughs> we're really going to offend you. So
1: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
0: As we mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to start talking about uh, Indiana Jones. And in fact, Brian shared with me the official D23 poster. And we've got Mickey standing in front of a stylized version of Sleeping Beauty Castle at Disneyland. And to Mickey's left, Uh, We have Spider-Man dangling upside down from some of his webbing. And then to Mickey's right, we've got Indiana Jones dangling from a rope, probably above a
1: bunch of snakes. But that's from that dangling from the rope. That's from the ride. Well, there we go. There we go. All right. (laughs) But
0: we are now officially 10 months out from the release of Indiana Jones 5. supposed to arrive in theaters after many years. On July 30th, 2023, and as Brian mentioned earlier in the show, we are hoping to get the full name of this film at the Lucasfilm and Marvel Studios panel, being held at the D23 Expo this Saturday, September 10th, in Hall D23. But just this past Friday, September 2nd at the Hollywood Bowl, as part of his annual Maestro at the Movies concert, John Williams debuted a new piece of music from Indiana Jones 5, and this piece was called Hell Theme. And by the way, folks, if you head over to YouTube, lots of folks put this up so you can hear the theme early on. And this is supposedly written for the character that Phoebe Waller-Bridge will be playing in this James Mangold movie. Williams, speaking with The Hollywood Reporter, described the Helena character as an adventurous and also a femme fatale. She's many, many things, and she has kind of a lyrical music like an old movie star. Williams also then went on to say that he had just recorded this particular piece of music for the official soundtrack of Indiana Jones 5 earlier that same week, more to the point that James Mangold himself had given Williams' permission to premiere the piece at the Hollywood Bowl as part of his Maestro at the Movies concert. This is obviously significant because, remember, back on June 22nd, we learned that Williams will be retiring from scoring films once he completes working on Indiana Jones 5.
1: So he is doing the whole score then? That is the, the, what we're hearing. Now with the the Helena character could yeah. this be like a a backdoor like pilot so to speak because we know that they need to find something to replace Indiana Jones mm-hmm. are they going to be, and she would be amazing cuz I'm I'm sure she's like a wise cracking Harvard probably graduate or something like that no no uh, oxford because she's got an english accent you
0: know i don't know and and certainly the disney company has to be looking at i mean remember there were all of those stories fairly early on about passing the torch from harrison ford to chris pratt that the notion that you know he would become the new indie by the way, uh that's another thing that Williams dropped as part of the interview back in on June twenty second, uh, announcing that he, you know, his last job film scoring. He <laughs> said something to the effect of Well, since Harrison thinks that this is his last film, I figured, well, I could go out too and it was one of these things where it's like, Wow, you you kinda buried the lead there, didn't you? <laughs> it's like This is Harrison Ford's last movie, and so far, none of that has been confirmed. Harrison's people have not come forward, and certainly Disney doesn't necessarily want to put that out there yet. But at the same time, it's been 14 years plus now (laughs) since the last Indy came out, Indiana Jones and and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and what did you think of that one?
1: Well... I loved it until the very, very end. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was a great film. Mm-hmm. I loved that John Hurt was in it. Mm-hmm. I even liked Shia LaBeouf, too. I thought the character mm-hmm. maybe was a little goofy at the beginning, you know, trying to give him the, the whole uh, Marlon Brando. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have the Marlon Brando feel. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed it. My family and I went it went to it the, the day it opened. Mm-hmm. And we had seen all of the three before. Mm-hmm. And I did not know they were beings from another. What were uh, they were from another dimension. not universe? Yes, that, that, dimension. Yeah. I thought they were aliens. Of course, I thought the the things in IA were aliens too, but mm-hmm. they were robots. Yeah. But so sometimes if you don't give you know write it down to me and just give it to me on a on a card, mm-hmm. I I sometimes get lost. But I think the whole idea was great because at the time. There are all these things on Discovery Channel about the crystal skulls. No doubt. And how they were, you know, were they from another world? There there's no way anybody could make these skulls out of crystal because it would take them fourteen thousand years to do it or there something like that. There we go. And it was a great idea, but I think it just it fell flat at the at the very end. But that's not say I didn't see it five times or six times, or seven times, because everything else in it was so enjoyable. It hit all the marks I wanted it to hit.
0: Okay, we're kind of on the same page here. I have also had the opportunity to read Frank Darabont's script for Indiana Jones 4. In fact, folks, I'm going to suggest when you finish listening here today, type in Indiana Jones And the city of God into Google, and uh, in various spots around the web, you can find this script. In fact, the the draft I'm talking about was written November 4th, 2003, and even features a story credit by George Lucas. And Frank initially was the guy they wanted, had done some amazing work all on his own. And, you know, we don't need to get into the whole you know, what went on with Frank with the Walking Dead thing.
1: Right, but remember, Frank started mm. by writing Young Indiana Jones. There we go, there we go. He wrote, I, I think, maybe a half dozen of them.
0: He did, he did. And in fact, that's why he was hired in May of 2002. And his Indiana Jones and the City of Gods is set in the 1950s, but the bend on it is that it's ex Nazis who are in oh. South America who are now chasing after Mr. Jones, and and by the way, not exactly far fetched. I mean, remember Ira Levine, you know, plowed this oh, yeah. same road with the boys from Brazil, and Spielberg himself supposedly suggested this idea because, which is, seems weird to me. Because do you remember after Schindler's List came out in December of '93? Spielberg yeah. supposedly swore off Nazis as villains in his movies.
1: Because they were too much the real villains yeah. and he didn't want to make them caricatures anymore.
0: No, that's it exactly. But again, Spielberg supposedly loved Daravon's script. But the irony is Lucas, who has a story credit in this thing, supposedly had issues. Uh, he felt, given that this Indiana Jones film was going to be set in the 50s, the era of the Cold War, that the Soviets would be better, more fitting villains. And so Spielberg and Lucas shelved Darabont's draft, and in August of 2004, they hired Jeff Nathanson to come in and take a stab at at Indiana Jones 4. Right from the get-go, Nathanson has the Soviets as Indy's adversaries. David Cope comes in to rework the script in 2005, and the interesting thing, it's David who decides that the crystal skulls are going to be the MacGuffin? And more to the point, the very thing you were talking about about mud—he's the one who brings Indiana Jones' son into the storyline. And
1: Wait, but didn't Darabont? Didn't Dare, Dare about have a son in there? Or a... he had Marion. Okay, okay, he just had Marion. All right, I remember there was another. Maybe it was a fake script mm-hmm. done by. Um, I forget who it was, but it was it was basically called the Son of Indiana Jones or something.
0: Yeah, there the I mean, there's the Indiana Jones and the Saucer Man. There's legitimate drafts in there along with the Indiana Jones and the Monkey King. Oh, jeez. You know, no. Well, actually, the irony is that that one's legit. The opening scene of it is set in a Scottish castle where you have Indy battling ghosts. And it's, it's wonderful. I mean, it's, it's really well-written, but for years they tried to get the right mix. And
1: um, there was one time Bill um, Stout was talking about, mm -hmm. they wanted to make a film Mm -hmm. about Indiana Jones finding the map Mm -hmm. that led to Skull Island. Did you ever hear about that one? That sounds killer. Well,
0: speaking of of giant animals, all right. (laughs) The reason I want you folks to go read the Darabon script is there is one scene in particular that I absolutely love, and I'm going to share it with with you guys and Brian right now. So if you go to page 83 of the script for Indiana Jones and the City of the Gods, and it starts off with Marion and Indy, you know, walking through this the South American jungle, and, and the closer they get to the city of gods, the weirder the environment gets. So they've, they're starting to see like hummingbirds the size of hawks, or foot long dragonflies and that sort of thing. But of course Marion and Indy are walking through the jungle, and as always, they're squabbling. And, and so here's uh, Marion bringing up Indy's romantic past, and it starts off with that girlfriend, that star you you, you knew, and, and, and Indy's like, well, he's got, yeah, yeah her. Oh. <laughs> Are you still in touch? And Indy's like, yeah, on and off. She moved to Hollywood to be a star, and last I heard, she fell in love and married some big-shot director. So that's sort of a smack at Spielberg, <laughs> because, of course, that, that's what happened yep. in real life. <laughs> but anyway, at this point, Marion freezes in dread, whispering, Snake. And Indy thinks that he, she's still talking about Willie Scott oh. at this point. So it's like, pull in your claws. She's a terrific person if you get to know her. And, and Marion goes, points and goes, no, snake. And Indy looks over and a large jungle snake is slithering up behind him. And rising calmly, Indy scoops the snake up, grabbing it from behind its head. It twines fiercely around his grip. And, and Marion's stunned. It's like, I can't believe you did that. And Indy's like, oh, I got over my fear a long time ago. People change, you know. Relax, it's just a snake. And he tosses the snake in the foliage and they walk off. And so moments later, the new scene starts. in The dense jungle and men are hacking with machetes with Indy in the lead. And, you know, it's not looking too good up here. This stuff goes on forever. And Marion appears, offers him a canteen, and he accepts it gratefully and wipes his and take his hat off to wipe his brow. I'm like, thanks. We're going to have to backtrack and find a way around this if they want to get the trucks up here. And as before, Marion freezes in dread, seeing something on the ground behind Indy. And she points, stuttering. And Indy goes, what? Another snake? Yeah, lady. The jungle's full of them. You know, and Marion's trying to speak, but it's stuck in her throat. And Indy grins, takes another swig, blissfully unaware. It's like. Come on, what's with you? You think you'd never seen a snake before, and it's the biggest damn snake anyone's ever seen is rising up behind him. it rears up taller than Indy now, staring down with him at with a head bigger than a horse's. And Mary's like S-U-U-U. and Indy turns, looks up, expression goes slack as Marion says, snake. And now this is a description straight out of the script. Okay. And gulp. The snake chomps down on Indy, swallowing him up to the waist. Oh, my. Okay. Okay. (laughs) The beast rears up, trying to get Indy down its gullet. Indy's legs kick and flail in the air. The snake slams down to earth, Maul widening and contracting. With seconds, Indy's kicking feet are gone. All that's left is his hat, which rolls across the ground. As the final insult, the snake snatches up the hat and swallows that too. Then slithers, turns and slithers off into the underbrush. Men are running in all directions. You know, snake, snake, it swallowed Indy. And, and so the chase is on and Marion literally leads the charge and grabs a rifle and aim for the head. And at this point, the snake slithers up the trunk of a tree and is in its high branches, hissing at the men below. They're aiming at their rifles, trying to get a clear shot. And then the tip of a machete erupts through the skin and the monster starts thrashing and convulsing as it gets sliced open from within indy emerges covered in goo expecting firm ground only to find himself in thin air You know, he tumbles grabs a branch only to find himself dangling eye to eye with the snake hisses dying and indy's tosses off a line something you ate <laughs> then smashes to the ground and And he's there shaking, teeth chattering, covered with slime. He he looks up at the dead snake at this point. It's like, well, that's not something you see every day. Now, the payoff for this is later that night when they make camp. Indy's still in shock, but he goes into his tent. Kerosene lamp is glowing. He shuffles to his cot, throws back the blanket. And the tiniest snake we've ever seen is slithering across his, his pillow. And his eyes go wide and... From the outside of the tent, we hear its screams echo from here to Brazil. So I'm sorry. Just for that scene, I wish they'd made the Frank Darabont version of of Indiana Jones 4. Um,
1: Well, what was the MacGuffin in that one? Can you tell us, or should we just read it?
0: It's really more about what happens when you get to the City of the Gods. And also remember that in this version... It's still ex Nazis, and right. it's still you know the dream of the Third Reich and the thousand year reign. And in fact, what happens to the big Nazi in this story? That's half the charm of the the Indiana Jones films is when the villains get their comeuppance. Oh, do they get their comeuppance? And Frank really did something of size, something really worth checking out. So again, folks, you know, suggest strongly. Google Indiana Jones and the City of the Gods and uh, give yourself something to read in line. Let's see, beyond that, if you're going to be attending the event this year, uh, look for myself and Brian. We will be lurking about with the idea of coming back here with all sorts of stories to share on the next looking at Lucasfilm. In the meantime, Brian, where can folks find you online?
1: Uh, You can find me online at... Geek with Children, and children is spelled C-H-I-L-D-R-N, and um, on Twitter. That's on Twitter.
0: Okay, cool, cool. Uh, myself, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. I guess I should mention that we also do another couple of podcasts here. Uh, we have, of course, Disney Dish. That I do with Lentesta. We also have Marvelous Disney, uh, which I I normally do with Aaron Adams. Uh, We did a solo show this week because we're we're running behind schedule. What with D23 coming up? And uh, kind of the same thing with fine tuning, which I do with Drew Taylor, trying to get one of those out the door before I head off to Anaheim. Tell you what, folks, if you could do Brian and I a favor, if you could head over to uh, Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend looking at Lucasfilm. That would be very, very helpful. Get us some extra ears and eyeballs. If you want to head over to uh, Bandcamp and subscribe, that that would help too. And I think that's going to do it for now. So, Brian, I will see you in a couple of days. at the Yeah, I'm looking
1: forward to it.
0: Again, folks, we'll be back with, with a brand new show with all the info we learn at the Anaheim Convention Center very, very soon.